you know, there was a time if you wanted to kill an older buck or certainly a, you know, a large antler buck, there were only about three or four states in the country, you know, that you could go to to do that. Um, that's not the case at all today. You can kill fully mature bucks any place uh, across the whitetails range and have really, really good, good deer hunting there. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and today we have one of our most popular guests back for his third appearance on the podcast, uh, our first three-peak guest, and that's none other than NDA's own Kip Adams. Uh, The NDA just recently released our 2023 deer report uh, that's available as a free download on our website, and we'll talk more about that later in the podcast. Uh, But this thing is just jam-packed with all the state-by-state deer harvest data. Um, Not only how many deer were harvested, but, you know, how many of those were bucks, how many were does, uh, age class data, you know, how many uh, yearling bucks are they shooting, are hunters shooting in your state? How many, you know, three and a half year old and older bucks are they shooting in your state? Uh, What proportion of the the deer harvested in your state uh, are harvested with firearms versus bows versus, um, you know, muzzleloaders? Just everything you could think of. Uh, as far as deer hunting statistics for for each and every state in the in the whitetails range is included in this report. There's also some other deer data from out west as well, mule deer and some others. But uh, the main focus is the uh, the whitetail range, and uh, there's also a lot of information that that's kind of uh, part one of the deer report. And then there's a second section that covers just different topics, different national trends within deer hunting. So that's uh, that's always interesting to see what's going on what's kind of those buzzwords or key trends going on in deer hunting across the country and so we'll we'll dive into some of that as well but kip's going to be giving us kind of a a state of the deer address of sorts hitting the highlights of this deer report with us and i know you guys are going to enjoy that i had a great conversation with kip uh kip covers a lot of of just interesting data and information that i know you guys are going to enjoy so stick around for that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take up too much of your time on this one before we get on the phone here with Kip, but I do want to mention that this week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Weatherby. Uh, Weatherby is a manufacturer of quality firearms and ammunition and has been doing so for over 70 years now. Uh, to learn more about Weatherby and see their full line of rifles and shotguns, you can be sure to check them out at weatherby.com. And there's just one other thing I want to mention before we uh, before we get on the line here with Kip, and that is we just launched a brand new fundraiser this week with your chance to win a coveted Kentucky either sex elk tag. You know, this is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to chase you know big bull elk in the mountains of eastern Kentucky, and not only will the winner get that that coveted elk tag, but you're also going to take home a Savage High Country. 300 Win Mag rifle and a full package of Vortex optics, uh, including your your rifle scope, binoculars, a spotting scope, tripod kit, and even a rangefinder. So, uh, man, this this is one I wish I could put my name in the hat for, but uh, I, I can't do that. So, you guys need to take advantage of it. Um, don't miss this opportunity at an incredible hunt 
while supporting the mission of the National Deer Association. So you can find all the information you need on that or go ahead and get your chances today at deerassociation.com slash elk tag. And guys, with that, we're going to go ahead and jump on the phone here with Kip to talk all about the 2023 deer report. Hey, Kip, uh, thanks so much for, for coming back on the show. Uh, for what I, I didn't realize until yesterday is the uh, the third time our our first, I guess you're our first official three-peak guest. Good deal. <laughs> it's always nice to be here and talk with you, Brian. And uh, I'm, I'm honored that uh, that I'm the first to be on here three times. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the the podcast and uh, glad glad to be here and be a part of it. Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, it doesn't doesn't come with any kind of bonus or, or accolades, but I do I do appreciate your willingness to you know carve time out of your your work day and to come on here and talk deer with us. So, oh yeah, does it come with a free hat? Do I get do I get a hat for being the third time? <laughs> I'll see what I can do there. We, we might be able to <laughs> we might be able to work something out. Sounds good. Uh, but yeah, since since you've been on before, you know, we won't we won't take a lot of time we won't dive into your background um for the folks that that want to hear more about that and hear more about you and, and your background they can uh, check out episodes i believe 7 and 33 so they can check those out but uh yeah for this one we're just we're just going to dive right into the topic at hand which is the recently released uh nda's 2023 deer report and i guess i'll just kind of let you kick things off by explaining to the audience you know, what's what's the purpose behind the annual deer report and, and how did that all kind of get started? Sure. Um, it's hard to believe that this was our 15th annual report. Um, you know, back in, in 2009, we did the first one and it really was uh, started as a way, hey, let, let's bring all of this information together. Uh, you know, at NDA, our conservation staff and, and even our communication staff, you and Lindsay as well, attend, you know, a bunch of these deer biologist meetings. We work with state agencies. So we realize, you know what, we have all this information that we get from the folks in the Southeast, the Northeast, the Midwest groups, um, but it was never all put together. So that's really what this came to be initially is, hey, let's create an annual report that's tr a true like state of the union address with what's going on with deer, you know, a state of the whitetail. So that's where it came from. Um, we, we survey every state wildlife agency uh, each September, collect the information on all of the harvest data from, from that deer season, um, talk about the most current issues and trends that are impacting deer hunting uh, across the United States and, well, and even Canada. We get a lot of data from our, the provincial wildlife agencies and just put it all together you know, in one document that's for hunters, uh, natural resource professionals, uh, deer enthusiasts, land managers, uh, the media, and more. It was like, hey, let, let's, you know, they had never been all put together. So that's where the impetus was. And that's what we do each year. We, uh, we have a great relationship with the state wildlife agencies. And this has become, you know, very helpful to them as well, you know, as they can answer questions relative to how their state compares to others in their region or others in the country. So uh, it, it's just really meant to be a great resource for folks wanting to get more information about deer harvest, deer management programs, and issues impacting deer. So uh, um, as a, you know, as, as NDA's chief conservation officer, uh, I use them on a very regular basis. I have all 15 of these annual reports on my desk. I keep them close at hand. But uh, but as a deer enthusiast and as a hunter, um, I use them almost just as much as that. You know, <laughs> if I'm looking kind of what's going on in other states or, or other parts of the country. So uh, I tell folks, you know, if you like deer, 
you're, you're going to want to grab this annual report. Uh, you'll enjoy it a lot and uh, it'll make you a more knowledgeable deer hunter and uh, maybe even a better deer hunter. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And hey, it's it's completely free. So, I mean, there's no reason, no reason not to take advantage of, of all that, all that free data. And yeah, it's it's hard to believe. F- 15 years of the deer report and I'm right there about I've been involved with about half of them at this point, I guess. So yeah, it's time flies. And, and yeah, I just like as a, as a deer hunter, like you said, it just being able to, to look and see not only how deer hunters did in my state, but you know, to see, see how that compares with the other States in your area or, um, you know, the, my previous home state of Kentucky and just being able to look and, and see how the, the different States hold up to one another. And, uh, just, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of really cool information in there. Now you mentioned there that you know this data is collected from from state wildlife agencies, and you know inevitably whenever we discuss any kind of of state deer data, whether it's you know talking the deer report or whether we share something on our social media, we always get questions, you know, to the effect of, well, how does my state know how many deer are killed or or how old they are because I don't even have to check them in or. Or maybe they just check them in by phone, so nobody actually looks at the deer that I kill. Um, so can you can you kind of address that? How, how is this data collected? Sure, and that's a great question. And um, you know, and we actually have chapters in a, in a couple of different of the annual reports to to address that exact thing. You know, how does my state collect this information? And really, there's there's a couple of different ways that states get it. Um, you're right; they they don't look at every single deer that every single hunter shoots. Uh, they don't need to do that. What they need to do is just sample a certain percentage of the deer herd or a certain number of deer hunters. And then from that, they can estimate what the total deer harvest was for both bucks and does. Um, so some states will require folks to do a survey after the season. So, you know, they don't have to get with every single hunter. They'll just get with, you know, maybe 5% of all the hunters collect that data from them, and then from that, be able to extrapolate what the total was. Um, used to be states had check stations, um, you know, in person where you had to physically go. And, and many hunters think, you know, that that's by far the best. Um, but the reality is, even with those, everybody didn't go to one of those. So so agencies right. still didn't actually get 100% of the data. So the answer is, the states collect a, a subset of that data by surveying a certain number of the hunters or checking deer at taxidermy studios, deer processors, uh, et cetera. And then from that, they're able to calculate through statistics what the total number is. And, and there's been a lot of research projects that look at that and study it very scientifically. And uh, what we find is, man, the states do a really good job of being able to estimate what the actual harvest is. You know, if it's in your state and it says, you know, the total is 200,000, the exact number is probably not 200,000, but it is very, very close to that. Certainly within a very small, acceptable uh, air range that, uh, that gives the agency the data they need to be able to do a good job managing that deer herd. So folks can go and actually we have an online index where they can search any topic that's been in any of the deer reports and then immediately go, you click on that link and it'll take you to that article. So if folks are interested, they can look at that online index, check you know, from the harvest part of it, how the state agencies collect that data so they can see exactly how their state does and uh, how uh, others uh, maybe within their region do it to see if other states do it the same as them or uh, a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. As, I, as a deer hunter, I mean, I definitely miss the the check station days. You know, I'm, I'm old enough. I remember those those days 
of hauling a deer into the check station and and or waiting around the check station to see other people bring their deer in. Uh, you know, I definitely miss that. But man, from an agency perspective, you know, the, these telechecks and stuff where they can check them in online or on the phone, they just get the data so much easier, more, you know, it's real time. They, they know exactly or not, not exactly how many deer are being checked in, but you know, they have, they have an idea based on that, that data. And, uh, you know, just makes it much simpler. I, I still remember when I was working for the uh, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife, you know, they were still having, I guess, biologists. I don't remember who was in charge, but they would actually have to, or maybe they had to mail them in. But all these little mom and pop gas stations and stuff that were check stations would have all these cards and stuff they'd have to send in with that information on it. And, of course, you know, that stuff would get lost or depending on who was actually, you know, working at the this little mom and pop grocery store. That day, you know, whether or not the the data was accurate, there was just a lot of problems with the old the old check station systems for sure. But yeah, check stations were great for camaraderie and engagement between the agencies and the hunters, and you know they were an entertainment place. Um, But from a a data perspective, it is so much nicer for our state wildlife agencies to be able to get it immediately through telecheck and and you know the internet, and it's so much nicer for hunters. It's so much more convenient. I can remember literally having to leave camp, you know, or, you know, get off a mountain and and be able to go and either call a deer in or report a deer. And I think the last thing I want to do is leave the woods where, you know, today, you know, many places where you are, as long as you can, you know, have a cell service, you know, you can check that deer in then. So you're legal, everything is good. And, uh, you know, so it's way more convenient for hunters the way we do it today. And it's a win-win because it's a lot better for the state wildlife agencies. They get the data much more quickly and can take a look at it. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a good system we have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and as far as some of the other data, the the age and and sex data and that kind of stuff, um, you know, I can attest as as a former wildlife technician here in Georgia that you know that was one of my jobs is is I had a, a quota in in multiple counties where I would have to go around to. Um, deer coolers or deer processors and collect that data you know how many bucks were in there how many does um, how old was was each and you know we would even take some some antler measurements and that kind of stuff and and you know the hunters who killed these deer had no idea that the data was being collected from their deer so um, you know it's it's a lot of that's going going on in the background that that the hunter never knows is is taking place so yeah. You know, and, and agencies do a better job today, at least providing some of that data to hunters and, and helping them understand where it comes from. Um, because you're exactly right. There's so much that's collected and, and with a hunter never knowing. So some states actually have hunters mail incisors in so that they can do, you know, cement manually analysis. Many of them are getting them from taxidermists or those meat processors. So very few agencies actually have, you know, biological check stations anymore where you can take a deer and talk to the biologist. But uh, but nearly every state is collecting this information. So uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, one of one of the first sections in the deer report covers buck harvest trends. And so let's let's, I guess, start there and just, um, you know, what, what are some of those trends that that you're seeing across the whitetails range when it comes to uh, buck harvest? Man, from just a sheer number standpoint, we are shooting a lot of bucks. Um, <laughs> the, the the 2020 deer harvest, so a couple of years ago now, that was the highest buck harvest we've had in 21 years. Um, and what we have now is it's just off of that record slightly, but 
basically we are shooting a lot of deer you know almost three million antler bucks a year that's a lot of deer so like historically high numbers so what that is one is it's fun you know hunters love to shoot bucks and see bucks and man i'm the same way like i like to see (laughs) antlers as well um so but it also means that you know deer herds are really high and uh, there's a lot of state agencies that actually use you know, the buck kill index or the numbers of bucks are, that are being shot in their state is a measure of total deer population. So as we see that buck kill climb, and it has climbed a bunch over the past decade, um, what that means that, or just suggests that, you know, deer herds also are climbing. So we have a lot of deer on the landscape and, uh, and really, really high buck harvest. So folks, you know, that were, were around and hunting, you know, 30 and 40 years ago, um, they remember some buck harvest that numbers wise were similar to what we see today, but the huge difference is the age structure of those buck harvests. 30 years ago, almost all those bucks were one year old. That was it. Yeah. Today, you know, the vast majority of the bucks that we shoot are three years or older. We kill way more bucks that are three, four or five years old today than we do that are one year old. So uh, very high deer numbers, really high buck harvest. And, but just the best age structure we, we've ever had. We, we easily have a better age structure today on bucks than we've had in at least the last 150 years. So uh, pretty good time to be deer hunting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, and, and that's about when I started deer hunting was 30, 30-ish years ago, 30-plus years ago. And, yeah, if I just seen a, a deer with antlers on his head, it was, it was a good day. And, you know, if I, was gonna, <laughs> if I had a shot, he wasn't, he wasn't going to walk by either. <laughs> So a lot has changed over the years for sure. You know, now, now, you know, it's nothing to, like you said, to see yearlings, two and a half, three and a half year old bucks out there on a, on a set. So it's, yeah. uh, what's changed and I a know lot. for me growing up in Pennsylvania, same thing. I'm a little bit older than you, but I vividly remember where, you know, we'd, we'd see a hundred deer a day, literally during rifle season, you know, and maybe one buck. Now those all weren't <laughs> different deer because you know, everybody was pushing deer. And so you were seeing the same deer many times uh, during the day. But uh, if you did see a buck, you better kill it because if you didn't, you likely would not see another buck the entire season. Now, fast forward to today. And of course, we we spend a lot of time managing habitat on our farm. But, you know, my kids routinely pass, you know, two-year-olds or even three-year-old bucks. And I'm looking at it just thinking, man, how different it was when I was a kid. You know? <laughs> and they had a total green light on us. Kids shoot whatever you want. You know, anything that's legal from the smallest spike up to whatever. But uh, times are just so different. You know, I I literally would see one buck a season. And we have lots of sits now, you know, where my kids might see, you know, uh, multiple bucks a sit. You know, we actually had a couple sits last year where we saw 10 different bucks, you know, in one evening. And I'm thinking, this is like 10 years of hunting for me when I was my kid. Oh, age. yeah. Yeah, very, very different times today, you know, because of our organization, you know, because of state wildlife agencies, you know, hard work with this and because of hunters, you know, learning more about deer and doing their part, you know, to pass younger bucks. So uh, we're, we're at a good spot today from a buck harvest end and hunters are reaping those rewards. Absolutely. Now, now the deer report is actually, you know, you're providing all this kind of national data, but it's also broken down regionally as well. As far as buck harvest trends, it, are those, you know, the increased buck harvest, the shooting more more mature bucks than yearling bucks, is that pretty much across the regions or, or some regions doing 
a better job at others of that or what how does it differ regionally i guess yeah you're right so we break this out in by regions um, but we also have it uh, by states so uh, you know you can go in there and look at state by state data for all of this um, but then we summarize a lot of it by regions um, just to, to you know to make it very comparable for folks uh, across the whitetails range and in general um Deer hunting is good across all regions. You know, there's no doubt there are certain states that do a better job than others uh, or, you know, have better hunting than others. But uh, in general, you know, deer hunting today is at, is at a really good spot. Um, you know, there was a time if you wanted to kill an older buck or certainly, a, you know, a, a large antler buck, there were only about three or four states in the country, you know, that you could go to to do that. Um, that's not the case at all today. You can kill fully mature bucks any place uh, across the whitetails range and have really, really good, good deer hunting there. Um, hunters are far more knowledgeable than ever before about deer biology and, you know, deer management and habitat enhancement. And so that, you know, in large part that really helps this. And, and we just have state wildlife agencies, you know, that are so actively managing deer herds today that, uh, that, that helps. So, um, I guess the, the short answer to your question is, Every state today is doing uh, better than in the past relative to opportunities they're providing for a very balanced age structure of both bucks and does. So uh, wherever you live in the whitetails range, you likely have some pretty darn good deer hunting close to home. Yeah, and I, one of the, I guess, most surprising statistics out of that section for me is, you know, when you think about people killing mature bucks, I mean, a lot of us, the, the, the tendency is to think about, you know, the Midwest, you know, Iowa and, and Missouri and Kansas. But, man, when you look at the data, a lot of the southeastern states are the ones that are really killing like a high percentage of, of three and a half year old and older bucks and, and a really low percentage of yearling bucks. So that that was, I guess, always surprising to me. Yeah, the Southeast dominates that that category with regard to, you know, highest percentage of their buck harvest that meets that, you know, three years and, and older category. And uh, we've looked at that very closely. You know, we've compared buck hunting or actually all deer hunting and harvest in the Southeast to the Midwest, you know, in the Southeast to the Northeast. And really, if you take a look at it, the Southeast has by far the longest deer seasons. You know, you guys average like, you know, in an 80 summer, 90 day rifle or firearm season. Yeah. Yep. You know, you know, in Pennsylvania, it's two weeks. You know, most of the North, you know, it's like 10 days, you know, to the two weeks. So your seasons are so much longer than the other regions. Your buck bag limits in large part are so much higher than other regions, but yet you guys by far have the oldest age structure in the harvest. So, you know, what that really comes down to is one, um, the Southeast has had antler restrictions longer than everybody else. So you have, you know, a couple generations of hunters that grew up with those regulations and with the expectation of, you know, having an opportunity to see older deer and hunt older deer. So uh, it's pretty neat that other regions have shorter seasons, lower buck bag limits, but yet can't beat you guys relative to the average uh, age structure. So it's pretty neat, you know, let us know that, hey, it's not a one size fits all recipe for managing deer. You know, everybody can do it a little bit different. And, uh, you know, tailor it to local uh, situations, you know, your local climate, your local hunting culture to be successful. So that, that makes this a lot of fun. And there's no doubt the Southeast has uh, has the corner on killing the most <laughs> mature uh, older bucks uh, than anybody else. So uh, it's a good place to be during deer season. Yep, absolutely. Well, we've we've 
talked a good bit about the antlered buck harvest trends. What what about the antlerless harvest trends? What are what are we seeing there? We're seeing a very different picture there. Um, in that, if you look over the last dozen seasons or so, where I said you know that buck harvest just keeps climbing and it just is maintaining record highs. Um, antlerless harvest, we uh, we hit our record back in two thousand seven. And uh, for the most part, since then, we have we have really reduced the number of antlerless deer we've shot. So, uh, but this is part of what's playing into that those high buck harvests. We have dramatically reduced antlerless deer harvest. Um, in many cases, it's not because our agencies or the state wildlife agencies have asked us to do that. In many cases, we have fewer hunters today, and they're just not as willing to shoot as many antlerless deer. Um, so, what we see is. Reduced antlerless harvest. So because of that, it's letting deer herds grow and in many cases grow above what those habitats can support. So, uh, you know, like anything in life, you know, a pendulum swings both ways and uh, this swung way toward the very aggressive antlerless harvest kind of in early 2000s. And uh, now we have gone way at the other end where hunters have really backed off. So what we have today is a situation where, you know what, many states are now shooting more antler bucks than they are antlerless deer again, it's time to, to get that pendulum going the other way. We need to increase antlerless harvest in many states. And uh, so, you know, hunters are the ones that, that can make that happen. So uh, that's that's something that we're really looking into as an organization, you know, to convince hunters to do that. Now, there's a lot of hunters. I know you shoot multiple deer a year. I do. Many NDA members do. Um, the reality is only about 40% of all the hunters in the country shoot a single deer each year. So less than half of everybody that goes to the woods or went to the woods last year shot a deer. And only about 18% of all the hunters shoot more than one deer. So even though we have multiple buck bag limits and multiple antlerless deer bag limits, you know, very few people shoot more than one deer. So we have the opportunity there to, you know, tags to shoot more than one. We have deer herds that can handle shooting more than that. I think what we need really, you know, is an outlet for some of this extra venison. I know that you fill your freezer and share with family and friends. We do the same. Um, but there's a big opportunity here for hunters to share even more of this, you know, with others. And a lot of places are, you know, if we don't have to pay to have that deer processed, I think we would have hunters be willing to take more. So my opinion, this is this is the next step in this whole deer management game, particularly from the antlers end, is we need to provide a better outlet for a lot of this venison. You know, uh, that hunters can then help feed other needy families. So, uh, hey, we can be champions of society, you know, help manage deer herds and provide food for folks that need it. And uh, the deer herd would win as hunters. We'd win and uh, society in general would win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A, a lot of people are just floored that uh, that we can shoot 10 does here in, in Georgia. And uh, and actually where I was from in Kentucky, you know, a large part of the state of Kentucky at the time, I'm not sure how that's shrunk or grown over the years but it was unlimited tags um you know you had to buy them but but you you could just keep buying them but you know the fact is like you said there most people just don't bother shooting more than one deer if they shoot their one deer and so you know there's yeah, a lot of concerns true. that those bag limits are just too high you know you're going to decimate the deer population but it's just it's just not happening that's right you know and you're right so if most hunters if they shoot a deer, well, you know, they're just going to shoot one, you know, and of course they pick a buck to shoot, you know, if you only get <laughs> shoot one deer, they want to shoot a buck. So that's one of the reasons, you know, why those, that buck harvest is so high and why our analyst harvest is declining 
So uh, that's that's something we, that we do really need to work on. Yeah. And are some regions, I guess, doing better than others when it comes to, to shooting antlerless deer? There are, you know, in particularly um, the Northeast. Uh, actually, I'm going to I'm going to divide that region a little bit. The mid-Atlantic part of the Northeast, because the Northeast is from uh, Virginia north. Well, you get up into New England, you know, those states just can't harvest that many antlers deer. You know, they're, they're up toward the top of, you know, whitetail limit relative to, to winter severity and that. You know, a lot of those deer herds aren't nearly as productive as you get into the, you know, the Midwest or even other places in the Southeast. So they can't handle the same antlers harvest. However, well, you get in the mid-Atlantic region, you know, the Pennsylvania, the New Jersey, the Maryland, the Delaware, that is a real sweet spot for deer management. You have extremely productive deer herds. You have a lot of land open for hunting. You have a high hunter density. Uh, Pennsylvania, my home state, averages 14 and a half deer hunters per square mile. That's far more than every other state in the country. So uh, anyway, you have all of these things combined to just have, you know, the perfect storm for high deer harvest. And that part of the country really does. Pennsylvania typically leads the country with antlerless harvest per square mile and actually total deer harvest per square mile. So uh, if you're in that part of the world, um, it's a lot of fun because there's a lot of deer and a lot of hunting opportunities. But at the same time, that comes with a responsibility for those hunters to shoot a deer or, you know, in many cases, shoot multiple deer to keep those deer herds in check. Yeah, and that, that made me think when you were talking there, can can you, you mentioned, you know, per square mile, harvest per square mile or hunter density per square mile. And a lot of the, the statistics in the in the deer report are broken down that way. Can you talk about why that is, why it's important to to have those per square mile statistics instead of just, you know, just raw numbers? Sure. Uh, we like to show the raw numbers just to show folks what they are. I um, mean, like, who shot the most bucks and who shot the most does. So that's cool to see, but that that doesn't really allow you to compare your state against others because, you know, states aren't the same size. So for example, Texas routinely shoots more bucks than every other state, you know, but they're also the biggest. They have a lot of hunters, a lot of deer, you know, so, it, you know, how, how do they compare relative to Massachusetts or Rhode Island? Well, you can't look at total numbers. So that's why we also break that stuff down into a, a per square mile basis. So, hey, how many antler bucks did they kill per square mile? How many antlerless deer per square mile, et cetera. So that provides a little better of an apples to apples comparison. So, uh, you know, then we can see like, oh, you know, look and say at the, the antlerless harvest. Delaware, uh, even though they don't, they kill, you know, a fraction of the antlerless deer that Texas does, Delaware hunters shoot, you know, more than four antlerless deer per square mile, you know, which is two to three times the harvest rate that <laughs> Texas has. So it just gives us a little better idea of, hey, you know, like a, a little better comparison, I guess, and a little fair for hunters, whichever state you're in, to kind of see how your harvest compares to, to those around you or those in other regions. Right. Yep. Makes sense. I mean, you can fit a whole lot more hunters and deer in Texas and <laughs> than you can Rhode Island or Delaware. Oh. Now, another cool section of the deer report that kind of always piques my interest is the, the deer harvest by weapon type. And as someone personally who likes to hunt with, you know, whatever, whatever weapon is legal at the time, uh, it's always interesting to see, you know, how successful hunters are using these, these different methods. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? What's, what's the data look like in the, the latest report as far as, you know, archery equipment versus firearms versus muzzle loaders? Sure. 
Um, yeah, that's a fun one to monitor because, you know, with all of these recruitment programs, whether it's, you know, archery recruitment or, you know, the use of crossbow is allowed so much more today than, than in the past. And, you know, these new muzzleloaders, it's neat to see, hey, how, how does this impact, you know, what's going on with total deer that, that we're shooting? You know, are we shooting more deer or are we just shooting about the same number of deer? We're just shooting them at a different time of the year. Um, perfect example of that is in Pennsylvania today, you know, our deer harvest has been pretty stable, but historically, almost all of it occurred during our two-week firearm season, you know, and the majority of that occurred during opening day of it. Well, <laughs> today, even though we shoot about the same number of deer, we kill those deer, you know, they're spread out a lot more over like a three-month period. There are so many more killed in archery season, which is a great time to be a field. So anyway, that's what this deer harvest by weapon type kind of allows us to measure. And, and what we see is that year in and year out, about two thirds of all the deer shot nationally are taken with a firearm. That's either a rifle or a shotgun. One of those two. About a quarter of all the deer shot are taken with a, with a bow or a crossbow. And uh, it's about 9% are taken with a muzzleloader. And uh, those numbers are pretty stable. Now, 15 years ago, it was a much smaller portion that were taken by a bow. But that's when we really had a big push, you know, with a crossbow legalization and allowing, you know, the use of crossbows in a lot more states. So that jumped from about 15% to about a quarter, about 25%. But that number has stabilized over the last five to 10 years. So it hasn't changed much at all. But one of the reasons that we do this is because we have hunters in some cases complain to their state wildlife agency or complain to us that, you know, crossbow hunters are ruining everything. Those, those <laughs> folks you know, are killing all the deer in archery season now. So this is a good way to just measure, hey, you know, are, you know, is the percentage of deer shot during archery actually changing or not? And uh, some individual states have seen a bit of a change over the last five to 10 years. But nationally, that, that percentage hasn't varied or has varied very, very little in the past decade. Yeah. I've seen one person I ask about, um, you know, why why we didn't break out crossbows from archery equipment and have them in, in two separate categories. So why uh, is that? That's a great question. And you know what? Uh, we tried to do that uh, several years ago, but uh, many states um, don't break that those those two out within their state data. So when we started collecting this data, we would ask for the percentage shot with, you know, vertical bows percentage shot with crossbows, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of states just said, you know, they, they can't differentiate that in their state. You know, uh, when that harvest comes in, you know, those two categories are combined. So so we combined them because uh, we just weren't able to, to, to break them out. Some right. states can break them out, but very, very few. So for the most part, they just you know, count them together. Okay, gotcha. And obviously this whole, you know, deer harvest by weapon type, now, this is one that, that you see a lot of variation by region and, and by state. Um, as, as you mentioned earlier, the, us, the, the southern states down here where I'm at, boy, just have extremely long firearm seasons uh, compared to a lot of the, the Midwest and Northeast. And, um, you know, I know there's some other factors there as well. But what, what do you see, I guess, in, as far as regional trends and in, in these different weapon types? Yeah, we do see some big regional trends. Uh, firearms wise, um, out west, they're almost all firearms harvest. You know, there's first of all, there's not a lot of hunters out west, you know, big, wide open areas in many cases. So they, they certainly shoot deer with bows and muzzleloaders. But 
many of the states, you know, 90 plus percent of their uh, total harvest is, is with a firearm. Um, the Northeast, what we see is way more deer being taken with either archery equipment or muzzleloaders. And, uh, and this is particularly true of New England. There's a lot of places there where, you know, deer herds aren't as productive. So there's just not as many opportunity or there's not as much opportunity to kill multiple antlerless deer. So because of that, they restrict some of the firearm seasons, you know, for hunters. So often the single best way to kill a doe in some of those New England states are either with a muzzleloader or a bow. So you see a lot higher percentage of total deer harvest taken by muzzleloaders and archery equipment, particularly in the New England states. Um, but New Jersey is a definite standout. New Jersey every year has over 60% of their total deer harvest taken with a bow or bow or crossbow, archery equipment. And uh, if you think about New Jersey, what lays into this? Uh, well, it's, you know, it's the most urbanized state. So there's a lot of firearm ordinances. So New Jersey's a really big deer hunting state. You know, if you've never been there, a lot of people don't realize it, particularly Southern New Jersey, it's a very rural, um, has some great deer hunting. So, um, but opportunities with a bow are way greater than with a firearm in New Jersey. So, uh, so that's why you see such a high percentage of their deer taken with bow, uh, certainly way more than, than every other state. So yeah, definitely some, some state by state variations there, you know, based on urbanization and, uh, and that type of thing. And, and that's very evident with New Jersey. Yeah. Now, I guess before we move on to, um, part two of the deer report, which is, which is more of the, the national deer issues and trends, uh, is there anything, anything we've left out of, of, the part one, anything we didn't touch on that you think is worth, worth noting? I think one thing that's cool that, uh, that has to do with deer harvested, and this is the first report that we have added this category or looked at it, was uh, the percentage of all the deer harvest that occurred on private land. Um, obviously, public land is very important. And we look at or get questions anyway on, you know, private land harvest versus public land harvest. So uh, we asked the states this, hey, you know what percentage of your deer harvest was on private and public land? And what we found was that none of the states in the West record this. So uh, that, you know, those states are, are kind of out. But for the Northeast and the Midwest and the Southeast, uh, 27 of those 37 states um, do record whether the deer are taken on public or private land. So, uh, so that's pretty good. You know, we get a pretty good measure there. And, uh, and of course, you figure that it would be high. Uh, on private land, you know, there's more private land. Um, there's a lot more active management on private land in many cases in public land. But I was astounded that it was 88% of the total deer harvest is taken on private land. So basically nine out of every 10 deer shot come from private land. So that was a big number. That was even higher than, than I expected. Um, that did, well, I guess I'll tell you, it ranged from 57% of the deer harvest in Massachusetts was on private land up to 99% of the harvest in Texas, you know, and shoot, Texas harvests about 800,000 deer and, uh, you know, Man. 99% of them are on private <clears throat> land. So obviously some states have more uh, public land than others, but, uh, but man, that, that's a lot of deer taken on, on private land. So, and there was a little bit of variation, Brian, of course, across the regions, uh, 81% of the Northeast deer harvest was on private it was a little more. It was 91% in the Midwest and then 93% in the Southeast. So the Southeast led the country with that. So, uh, but uh, pretty, pretty interesting statistic. And it, this doesn't say anything about 
hey, maybe public land isn't as important. Public land is very important. But what we realize is, you know, we were lucky to have, you know, like 600 million acres of public land in the U.S., but most of those are in the West where we have, you know, comparatively few hunters. So uh, we need more public land, especially in the East. We need to enhance habitat on public land, which is exactly why at NDA we have our public lands initiative to improve, you know, the access and, and habitat and in deer hunting on a million acres of public land by 2026. That's incredibly important. So I'm not discounting that at all, but seeing how much of a deer harvest occurs on private land just further highlights the importance of private land management, you know, all of the good things that private landowners are doing and uh, further highlights the importance of, you know, of our, of our DMAP programs. You know, not all states have a DMAP program. They should, you know, because of this, you know, and some more of the work that agencies, our state wildlife agencies should be doing on private land. Um, fortunately, many of our states do have private or, or hunter access programs on private land, which is good, but but not all the states. So uh, there, there's some definite opportunities there to even further our management on private land. Um, and hopefully this number that we have now just to, to, you know, help everybody realize the sheer magnitude of private land deer harvest, um, we can do a better job with that. Yeah. I'll do my part to try to, to boost those public land numbers, but I don't, I don't think I'm moving the needle a whole lot. You're in a 1% club for sure. You shoot a lot more deer in public land than uh, the 99% of the hunters out there. But, uh, you know, there's just so much more private land that, you know, you, we couldn't shoot enough deer on public land, you know, to even begin to equal uh, what we do right. on private land. Absolutely. Yep. And, yeah, you, you mentioned the public land initiative there. For anybody that wants to to learn more about that and what NDA is doing there. Um, I actually talked about that with, with Matt Ross on a previous episode. Um, don't, don't have the episode number here in front of me, but it's uh, it's a few episodes back. Yeah. With Matt Ross. So we, uh, we discussed that and just a really cool thing again, as a public land hunter, um, you know, I love seeing us take that initiative to, to start working to improve public lands across the country. Just a really neat program. Now, Again, I guess we'll we'll kind of dive into part two of the deer report, which centers around, you know, as you mentioned, part one is is kind of the, the harvest data. Uh, part two dives into national deer issues and trends. So um, and obviously those those vary from year to year. You know, it's not always the same issues and trends that, that we're talking about uh, in each deer report. So what were what were some of the key things that we looked at in the 2023 deer report? I think one of the interesting things is uh, is deer hunter numbers, and uh, you know, so we we collect data from the states because we want to monitor. Hey, are, are hunter numbers going up or down, or are they stable? Kind of where are they? But then we dig a little deeper into that and say, okay, let's, let's get a total number of deer hunters in each of the states. But then let's look at you know the the percentage of those that are using you know muzzleloaders or, or bows or, or firearms because uh, it t- it paints a pretty cool story, you know, and the differences you know, among the different states and, and how different states attack deer seasons. And I have told crowds that I've stood in front of and given presentations numerous times of all of the different variables that impact a deer herd, you know, and our deer harvest, deer hunter numbers are by far the number one variable. And the thing is, many hunters don't realize this. We think about, you know, when does our deer season start? Do we hunt the rut or not? Can we use crossbows? You know, do we have antler restrictions? All of that stuff plays a role, but none of them plays as big of a role as just the sheer number of deer hunters on the landscape. 
it's funny when you talk to deer hunters, I think we all think that our state has the most, <laughs> you know, we always think our state's the most crowded out there, but, but what are some of, I guess, some of the actual states where you do see the highest deer hunters per square mile? Great question. Well, we know that there are between nine and 11 million deer hunters that go afield each year. So nine to 11, you know, and, and it's, it's hard to believe that not every deer hunter hunts every year. I mean, you know, look at you or, or me, you know, we're, we're avid deer hunters. So I can't imagine not hunting, not only every year, but a lot of days every year. But, but the reality is there's some that they can't, they may literally hunt one weekend or, you know, they don't hunt at all this year, but you know, they still wanted to get out. Of, so it's good to understand, you know, that range, you know, not everybody is as avid as we are or, or thinks the same way relative to deer season. You know, it's important. I'm, you know, hey, that guy or gal that can only get out one weekend a year, I'm still proud that they are a deer hunter and that they still go hunting. That, you know, that's important. So I'm, I'm glad of that. But uh, so we know that there's nine to 11 million deer hunters that hit the woods annually. Um, that ranges from about 5,000 deer hunters in Rhode Island up to about 750,000 in Texas. So, uh, you know, big range there relative to, to actual deer hunters. And if we look at this regionally, um, and this really helps understand some of the deer management programs, the Western United States, big, wide open lands, cool place to be. The West only averages about one deer hunter per square mile. You know, so there, there's not a lot of people there hunting. The Southeast averages about four deer hunters per square mile. So uh, pretty, pretty interesting. So four times as many as the West. The Midwest averages five deer hunters per square mile. And this has changed a little bit in the past. The Southeast and the Midwest used to be, have the same number. The Midwest actually has a, a, a little bit more now per square mile basis in the Southeast. And then the Northeast averages uh, eight to nine deer hunters per oh, square wow. mile. So way more in the Northeast than elsewhere. So this is why when I say this impacts the deer programs more than anything else, you know, we hear all the time, you know, pick a, a Midwest state, Iowa, you know, Man, you know, if we did things like Iowa, we would have deer like they do, or this is how they hunt deer in Iowa, or this is how they manage deer in Iowa. Well, the reality is if Pennsylvania managed them exactly the way Iowa did, we wouldn't have what Iowa has. <laughs> Iowa does that because, you know, they only have about four deer hunters per square mile. You know, Pennsylvania has 14 and a half deer hunters. So that is why whatever a state has for regulations, whether antler restrictions or not, or, you know, length of deer season, all of that is so predicated on the sheer number of deer hunters on the landscape. So, uh, you know, that's why you can't just look at another state and say, we want to do that without looking at deer hunter numbers. So, um, but you ask kind of like state by state who has, we know that Pennsylvania has the most deer hunters per square mile at, at a 14 and a half. Um, Massachusetts has the highest percentage of their deer hunters that hunt with a muzzleloader. Seven out of 10 deer hunters in Massachusetts use a muzzleloader, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Illinois has the highest percentage of archery hunters. 74% of all the deer hunters in Illinois uh, either or at least have an archery tag. You know, they buy that tag or, or, or go hunting. And, you know, we had a lot of states that, that reported that 100% of their deer hunters use firearms. So, um, but which is, which is not a big surprise there. And, and, you know, maybe actually a hundred percent doesn't, you know, but that at least is an opportunity. You buy that state's deer license, you know, you have that, that deer or the firearm tag or the opportunity. So, but, uh, so 
those are those are some of the things we can pull out. And that, that's pretty cool. And it, and it shows some of the differences, you know, in age structures of deer harvest and, you know, just actual deer harvest. So it helps paint a little a better picture of why a certain state can harvest what they do or, or have, you know, the standing crop of deer that they have. Now, I noticed another topic that was covered in this section was feral hogs, which might seem a little odd in a deer report, but, uh, you know, this is a topic I actually just covered here recently with Alan Leary of uh, the Missouri Department of Conservation. Um, but, you know, it's, it's again, it's covered in this year's deer report. What trends are we seeing in that area? And I guess, why is it significant to deer and deer hunting? Yeah. Um, you know what? And so, yeah, this is not a deer, but hogs are a direct competitor of deer. So therefore that is a management issue. And, you know, and so something we want to cover, you know, and this is a good example of, you know, this report being a, a complete team effort on, on NDA side, you know, uh, the conservation team actually collects the data and writes these, but obviously your team are the ones that put all this together, you know, and do the infographics and the graphs, you know, and, and make it into something, you know, that's clear for folks to see. And actually, this is a good example of this topic. You know, you, uh, Lindsay Thomas, you know, and others in your department attend some of these conferences. You guys know what's going on out there. So the whole uh, series of questions on feral hogs actually came from our communications department, you guys, relative to, hey, you know, look at this. This is having, you know, some serious impacts in areas. You know, uh, this would be a good opportunity for a chapter. So that's where this came from. I love the teamwork part of this and think that's so cool, you know, what we have at the Deer Association. So uh, from the feral hog end, we know that 23 states reported that they have feral hogs. I've seen some other uh, uh, publications that showed a, a much higher number of states, but uh, I, this is actual state wildlife agency data. So th this ought to be as, as accurate as it gets that uh, the 23 states Everybody in the Southeast has them, and you can just see these hogs moving up to many of the Midwest states, up into some of the Northeast stuff. Uh, so there's there's definitely a, a spread, you know, of these hogs northward and, and northwestward. Um, so that's about how many states have them. But we know from that too, then that the feral hogs cause almost two billion dollars a year in agricultural damage. That's a big number. You know, this is yeah. to, to, to row crops. This is you know to other pastures this is to forestry operations uh yeah you know so two billion annually in damages is huge so because of that damage issues because of disease issues with hogs because they directly compete with turkeys bob white deer and other native species you know they cause a lot of problems now i understand that they're they're fun to chase and they're fun to hunt and you know uh however in the big scheme of things, man, as deer stewards or as just wildlife stewards, you know, I, our hunters should be out there advocating in most places for us to have fewer hogs because of all the problems they cause. So, so that's why we asked this question. And so we learned where they are. Um, we know that they negatively impact deer management programs in at least eight different states. So, you know, and that's, it's got to be some pretty significant impacts to be listed there. So, you know, that, that's terrible that they're negatively impacting deer. So, you know, I, I care for deer a whole lot more than I care for feral hogs. But oh, that's yeah, also I, then why, Brian, absolutely. that there's only three states out there today that allow you to transport hogs live. You know, at one point in time, there's a lot of hunters would, you know, catch hogs, uh, transport them, you know, put them in a trailer, take them somewhere else and release them so that they could help those populations spread. And uh, 
Billy Higginbotham from Texas A&M University, who's an expert on feral hog and management, you know, was fond of saying, you know, pigs don't fly, but man, the trailer <laughs> really, really well. So uh, there's a lot of states that used to allow hunters to move them around, which just caused a lot of these problems. So there's only three states today, that that's Nevada, Oklahoma, and Texas that allow you to do that. Everybody else has outlawed that. And actually, we have an increasing number of states today that outlaw hunting of them. You know, landowners can kill them on their land, uh, but, you know, they're making it illegal to hunt because if hunters can't hunt them, then there's less incentive to be moving them around. And the states that have outlawed the hunting have actually seen the biggest improvements in reducing feral hog numbers and reducing damage and reducing negative impacts to other wildlife species. So uh, hopefully in the future, uh, we have fewer hogs on the landscape. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, like you said there, I mean, I, I'm not going to deny it's it's fun to hunt them, but I would rather not. I'd rather the opportunity not even be there. So uh, they they cause some serious damage, and like you said, compete with uh, deer and other wildlife for a lot of resources. So yeah, you're definitely better off if if you don't have them. I can remember as a young biologist, the first job I had out of graduate school was for the Florida Game and Fish Commission, and. Uh, I had never been anywhere coming from the north. I had hogs. So uh, it was a novel thing to me being in central Florida and seeing some. And I heard the problems and I knew of the issues. But, uh, um, you know, I didn't grasp how really bad they can be. And I remember first year there planting food plots on a wildlife management area. And uh, I can't remember now how many hundreds or thousands of dollars of seed we had. And we got all this stuff planted, man. It was great. And uh, in one of our plots, I went back to check after a good rain to see if it had germinated and what we'd have just high hopes for how beautiful this plot back in the woods was going to be and got there. And, uh, the whole thing looked like we, you know, we had redisked it again or, or plotted. And obviously, yeah, you're laughing because you know, exactly, you know, feral hogs that oh, come yeah. in and, just uprooted the, and destroyed the entire thing. And I remember I'd been in Florida, I don't know, maybe a month. I can't remember maybe a week when we planted. It wasn't long, but I realized right then, like, all right, I'm, I'm beginning to, you know, to grasp the, the brevity of, you know, of what exactly we're talking about here and just how much damage, you know, these things can actually create. So, uh, you know, I get it. I get it. And they, I've shot hogs. I've had fun hunting them. But, uh, man, I, I hope that we get fewer in the future so that we can do a better job protecting you know, our turkeys, our, our deer, our bobwhite, and, uh, and many other native wildlife species. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there was a section I, I noticed on – Target buck and doe harvest, target buck harvest, target doe harvest. And I had to admit, when I first saw the heading, first thing that came to mind was was the hunting media version of a target buck. You know, one you have multiple years of trail cam picks of and, and you've given him a nickname and, you know, all that comes with that. But that's uh, that's not exactly what this section of the, the deer report's about. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about what that entailed, the, the target buck and doe harvest? Sure. You know, and this is really about, you know, if we want to do a good job managing deer, we should go into our deer seasons you know, with a plan. You know, the, the best way to reach a goal is to have a well-defined plan to get there. And uh, same thing for deer. So uh, we have taught this in Deer Steward for a long time. The, the final talk in Deer Steward 2 is uh, developing a harvest prescription. And, uh, and it has calculating a target doe harvest for a property and a target buck harvest for a property. You know, so at one, it helps you realize what the realistic expectations are on numbers of deer that you likely could shoot, particularly from the buck end. But the doe side of that is, hey, you know, 
let's not go out and decide once we're, you know, a week or a couple of weeks into deer season, eh, maybe I'll shoot a doe, maybe not. No. Let's calculate a target doe harvest before the deer season ever starts based on the data that you collect so that we go into deer season with a plan. So, for example, on our farm here in Pennsylvania, we conduct a spring pellet count survey every year and we conduct a spring or I mean a summer camera survey and have for, you know, the last 20 years. So that gives us an estimate of the number of deer used in our farm. So from that, we calculate how many does we're going to shoot that upcoming deer season, you know, to either allow our deer herd to increase or maybe we need to reduce it. Whatever the case is to meet our goals, we collect data on deer and then we have a plan. So everybody that hunts our farm before the deer season ever starts, we know this year we're going to shoot eight to 10 does, or we need to shoot 18 to 20 does. You know, the, the number changes every year based on the number of deer that we estimate are using it from our camera survey. So that gives us a good plan because you know how it is. You get into deer season, opening day, yeah, you can see quite a few deer. But as we apply that pressure to deer, suddenly deer become you know less visible. We're not seeing as many does. And many hunters then mistakenly think that as all, all the deer are dead or all the deer are gone. Or, boy, there's not many deer left. We better not shoot a doe. Well, the reality is we're just not seeing them because they're detecting our presence. So that's why if we can collect information on a deer herd and set that target harvest or you know develop a prescription before deer season, it lets us do a much better job shooting the appropriate number of antlerless deer to make sure that we don't over-harvest does or under-harvest them. And it allows us to, to, you know, go into the deer season with an idea of what we should, what we need to do. And then we do at our camp everything possible to hit that, that target harvest or that quota during the season. Well, prior to being with NDA, so, you know, 21 years ago now, uh, I was, was the deer and bear biologist for New Hampshire Fish and Game. And that was one of the states we always calculated a target buck and a target doe harvest. And, uh, you know, as a young deer biologist, I thought everybody did that. Well, uh. We had never asked this question of state, so this is the first time we've done it because we have members that do this every year. We have deer steward graduates that we've been teaching to do this, you know, for the past 10, 10 to 15 years. So we wanted to see what states do this. So we asked that from the buck side in five states, calculate a target buck harvest um, before the season starts. So, uh, which I would have thought that had been a little higher. Um, it didn't surprise me that that's not a lot more there. But what did surprise me then is we asked them, okay, well, how many calculate a target antlerless harvest? And only 10 states do, which that surprised me. It's a lot of states in the Northeast, um, you know, only one in the Midwest, and uh, you got a couple in the Southeast, so, but definitely more in the Northeast than anywhere else. And uh, so I think this is a great opportunity for state wildlife agencies to, to, to better engage hunters. And uh, I know when I was a state's deer biologist, I was calculating this target doe harvest every year. Then I would communicate that to the hunters. I'm like, hey, here's how many we would like to see taken, you know, and obviously break that down into the different regions or the different wildlife management units or whatever. So that hunters, one, trusted me as the state's deer biologist, like, okay, he has a plan. He has collected data. He has calculated what he thinks we need to do. So it just provided a really good chance to, to engage with the hunters, to share information, to help them see why we wanted them to shoot a, a certain number of antlerless deer. So uh, so kudos to the states that calculate this. Um, I'm very impressed with them for that. A lot of respect for them for that. And I think that other states who don't, um, by doing this, will have a great opportunity to, you know, to, to better engage their hunters, to develop more trust from their hunters. So uh, I see that as being a very good thing. 
Yeah, I, I'm like you as that young deer biologist. I was shocked. You know, I just figured that was something that every state did was, you know, had a had a target, at least, like you said, an antlerless harvest in mind, if not, you know, a buck and antlerless harvest. But yeah, so those those numbers surprised me as well. thought they'd be higher. Well, I guess one of the last things or topics in the deer report that that I wanted to discuss was, uh, and I thought this was pretty interesting, was you, you guys asked each of the the state deer biologists their kind of their top management issues that they they have to deal with in their respective states. Um, what what were some of those kind of top challenges shared, and was, was there any kind of regional themes or similarities seen across the region? Yeah, and for this one, uh, we. We asked them, hey, list two of the top issues that, you know, that you, you have to deal with. And, you know, and this is from, uh, you know, a resources end and a time end. And uh, it was very clear. There were three topics that rose to the top immediately, like way above all the others. And, uh, and they were CWD or disease. That was number one by far. 27 states listed that as one of their, uh, you know, one of the very top issues. Um, number two was hunter access. 12 states listed this. So, uh, you know, CWD disease dominated everything else. Um, but hunter access was, was listed there. And then the number three topic was declining hunter numbers. That was 10 states. So declining hunter numbers and access you know, were right there neck and neck for numbers two and three. And they really go together relative to, you know, getting hunters on the landscape to, you know, to harvest the appropriate number of deer. And, I, you know, and this is partly why I think some states are, are challenged with harvesting enough antlerless deer. One, obviously, we have fewer hunters than in the past. Um, and in many cases, you know, hunter access is, is declining. They just don't have access to as many acres. So uh, so it, it it was interesting to see how they shook out, you know, what they were. And it's amazing. You know, several years ago, we did an informal survey uh, with this. And the, and the topics were very different. So, uh, it you know, folks can trust that these are timely these are the ones, you know, that the deer biologists are spending their time on. And it's uh, it's unfortunate that disease is at the top. I fully respect the agencies for this being there. I think it's it is the single biggest issue that we're dealing with today with uh, with wild deer herds, uh, you know, and, and doing everything we can to safeguard the future for these wild deer herds. But uh, but it's it's a pretty good measuring stick of just where we are today relative to the past. You know, at one point. You know, hunters were, or deer biologists were spending far more time, you know, with, with anti-hunting folks or, you know, or with habitat management, different things. So it's a, it's a sign of the times. This is where we are. But uh, it also highlights the, the importance of our field to fork program, you know, our adult mentored uh, hunting program to get folks who have never had a chance to hunt that want to. Hey, if declining hunter numbers are one of the top issues, man, there is no better time than, you know, to be involved with our field to fork program. And, and I'm sure that's one of the reasons why it's so successful, you know, when we continually get asked to expand this to other areas, you know, there's, we're losing hunters and uh, we have a whole crop of hunters out there that are aspiring hunters that wants to go, but, uh, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to get into, you know, you need some guidance and need some help. So, I think our field to fork program is perfectly timed and perfectly angled, you know, to be able to help state wildlife agencies here with one of the single biggest issues they're facing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, their, their three top issues kind of fall in line with, you know, three of our focus areas. So, and hopefully. Exactly. Yeah. Disease. And then our public lands initiative, which, which obviously helps the hunter access and, uh, and our field to fork initiative, yeah. which, which helps declining hunter numbers. So uh, 
Hopefully that means that as an organization, you know, we're paying attention to the needs of the agencies and the needs of hunters and are, you know, are trying to provide programs, you know, that fit those needs to, you know, to, to be part of the solution. Uh, I personally believe that it does. And uh, so I guess time will tell, but, uh, but I think we're definitely helping move those in the right direction. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, Kip, I guess as we kind of wrap things up here, um, anything else, any other key pieces of this year's deer report that, that we haven't touched on? I think we've hit the highlights with this. There's a lot more in that report than, than we've covered here. So uh, I'll tell folks, you know, if, if you've enjoyed any of what we've talked about here, definitely go download this report, you know, and take a look at it because there's other other chapters in there as well on things like, you know, forested acres state by state and percentage of each state that's in agricultural production and all kinds of other uh, chapters in there that, you know, that relate to, to deer and to habitat management. So if you like this, uh, go grab the rest. Uh, you, you won't be disappointed. Yep. And like I said earlier, it's it's completely free download. We're not trying to sell you anything to, to get to this. Uh, we do offer printed reports, you know, later on when, when we get them printed, you can, if you want one, a hard copy, you can certainly purchase one of those. But all this information is uh, available on a free download on our website. So take advantage of that. You can go to the website over in the uh, the menu under the programs, uh, programs menu listing. Uh, you should see a line for deer report. So check those out. You can download this year's as well as the, the previous, you know, 14 years. So take advantage of that. And Kip, man, I, I appreciate it. As always, I enjoyed uh enjoyed the conversation and, and having you on and uh yeah a lot of a lot of great information for listeners to uh, walk away with good deal always good to talk to you brian and uh, fun to do this uh, with somebody like you who has uh, as much uh, internal knowledge of this report and and that so uh it makes it makes it fun from the dialogue end so uh thanks for what you do and for for producing such a great podcast i appreciate it kit all right guys that wraps up our interview with kip adams uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Hey, you can become a member and don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that and uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast. 
the podcast where deer season never ends.